Good morning. Well, we are nearing the close of Paul's letter, and that means uh, we'll be concluding our series out of Philippians as citizens, called as citizens, and today we are going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and in just a moment I want to read verses 7, uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, just to kind of provide a little bit broader context. But the fact that Paul's drawing his letter to the close reminded me this week that he brought, when he brought to, the, to a close a three-and-a-half-year ministry uh, that he had in the city of Ephesus, he called together uh, the elders of the house churches, and he spoke to them. And in verse 18 and 19 of Acts chapter 20, he said this, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by my opponents. Credibility starts right here. It starts with the words, you know how I lived. And Paul set a positive example, one that he could point to, not just at the end, but from beginning to end. And he says... I served the Lord, and he touches on those three things with great humility. That's a humility that in this letter, Paul has in a very central and vital way called all of us, even as he called the Philippians, to assume humility. Humility with our model, Jesus Christ. And he does that in particular in chapter 2. That's a model, that's an example that Paul set as well. And then he says with tears. Paul was not only humble, but tenderhearted. Real Christians cry. Growing up, I was told real men don't cry. I never saw my dad shed a tear. Paul admitted, there are things that make me cry. There are things that break my heart. He doesn't tell us what those things are here. I'm sure there were a number of them. But he does tell us in verse 31 of a particular burden on his heart. One that he says was on his heart the entire time he was with them in Ephesus for those three and a half years. He says, day and night, I never stopped advising or correcting each one of you with tears. You see, the burden on Paul's heart was the destiny of people. He had a heart, a great concern. 
He shed tears over the destiny of people. And that was a consuming concern. And it resulted in action and effort. Obviously, he was mindful of it. And he stresses that it was always on his heart, wanting to help people believe in Jesus Christ and believe the things about him that they needed to know, as well as how to behave and how to act, how to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, how to be like Jesus, or as we like to say, how to be Christ-like. These are things that we are to be constantly developing, growing in, flourishing, prevailing in. They should become more and more characteristic and exemplary in our lives. Paul knows that. It was a burden on his heart. He shed tears, concern for the faithfulness, the continuance, the growth of the people that he was ministering to, that he was helping in following Jesus Christ. And a third thing he mentions, he says, in severe testing. All this time, these were not optimal circumstances for Paul. In addition to the things that burdened his heart, kept him busy, working alongside people, helping train people, He was being pommeled, you might say, pestered, nagged, interrupted, troubled by opponents. They just didn't happen to get in his way. They opposed what he had to say and teach these very people. And that was an additional part of the burden on his heart. Because they were worming their way into the lives of these very people that Paul was drawing toward Christ and dissuading them, discouraging them, distracting them from serving and following Jesus Christ like Paul. But Paul prevailed in all these circumstances. Read ahead this week. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, we'll be there next Sunday, Lord willing. And it's there that he says, in plenty and in want, I have learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me, who strengthens me. In other words, Jesus Christ is vital to living the Christian life no matter what the circumstances or situation. You'll recall that Paul was a Pharisee. Perhaps he was a Pharisee like the Pharisee depicted by Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, where the Pharisee turns his gaze into the Lord and he begins to pray and he says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like others. And he begins to rattle off a number of ways in which he's not like them. 
I'm not like them. I'm not like extortionists. I'm not like unrighteous people. I'm not like adulterers. And he adds, I'm not like that tax collector over there. Pharisees were evidently proud of what they didn't do. And I bring that up because I went through a pretty long phase where I thought that's what should identify and define me as a Christian. Things I don't do. But I realized that when that defines me, I'm just engaged in subtraction. It's kind of a zero-sum game. And I awoke, you might say, when I realized that my Christian life was to be growing. It involved addition and multiplication. Pharisees define themselves in terms of subtraction. I don't do that or that or that. Yes, we can say I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. But that can't be the end of our description or the period at the end of the sentence of our lives. We need to be growing. We need to be recognized for what we do, not just what we don't do. And that really is the focus that Paul has here as he writes to the Philippians and as we look at what he has to say today. Here Paul tells us how we can add and how we can multiply and how we can be an influence, an asset, not just a deduction. We can set an example. And that's really Paul's point here as it has been throughout the letter, but worded just a little bit more poignantly and directly, as citizens, we are to set a positive example. Let's uh, return to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We're going to add 8 and 9 this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then the translation I'm reading says, finally, which always makes us think that this is the last thing he's going to say. But this Greek expression would be better translated furthermore or in addition. He used it at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. Here we are in chapter 4, verse 9. And so he says, in addition to what I've just said, or furthermore, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
these things think about. These things calculate. In fact, the word that Paul uses, we often translate consider or reflect. But the word also means count, calculate, add up, add up, do your math with these things. Consider what's really of account, what really should be in the plus column, what really should matter, what you want to put your eyes on. Not the things that are left behind or a part of subtraction, but that really matter. These are the things that should fill your minds and hearts. And then he says in verse 8, finally, brothers, excuse me, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, do these things. And this is an incredible promise. The God of peace will be with you. Focus your attention on the right stuff. That's the first thing Paul says to us. Put your attention on this. Focus on the right stuff. And this has everything to do with what fills our minds. It has to do with how we think. It's very human to be shaped by circumstances, to be pressed and molded and conformed to what is pushing in on us, interrupting us, creating struggles we didn't see when we woke up in the morning. And that often fashions us. But now we have Christ within us. We belong to him. And it is this that Paul is referring to. We have resources that help us to defend ourselves against those life-shaping forces, willy-nilly and circumstantial as they may be. They should not be controlling our lives. They should not be Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so he says, think on these things. Recall these things, if you will. Put these things front and center. Whatever is true, things that are honest and genuine and trustworthy, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. And by the way, Paul uses a relative pronoun. We hear this translation says whatever. It could be translated um, all things that are honorable, all things that are true. In other words, Paul's not just thinking of one thing. He's thinking of a category of things. The things that fall under the heading of what is true, what is honorable or worthy of respect, what is just, that is to do the right thing, to do what's right, whether it's convenient or not, whether it costs us or not. We've got to grow in those things. They don't come naturally. Whatever is pure, whatever 
In other words, things that are clean, things that are wholesome. It points to the notion of integrity, things that are not intermixed with contradictory things. When we get a product, we want it to be just what it advertises, pure. And then he says, whatever is lovely. This is an interesting word because it's what contributes to friendship. In fact, it's a compound word of a preposition toward and the word friend. So sometimes we, we translate it friendly or pleasing or agreeable. Something that endears or is sweet. We're drawn to those things. We don't have to be sourpusses. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that are friendly, are gracious and kind. Whatever is commendable, that which is admirable, not offensive. We, can't, we can speak the truth. We can stand up for the Lord. We can be immovable and faithful. But you know what? We can also be inoffensive. We can be admirable. And then he gives us the word that is translated excellent. Or, or if you, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's good. Whatever is good and worthy of praise. Anything within this category, he says, these are the things that should fill our minds and hearts. These things can be seen in the world, but what is the model for these caliber of things? It is Jesus Christ, who is what? The revelation of of God, the revelation of the Father, all such qualities of excellence and praise emanate, come from, are created by. In fact, he stands by these things. These are things that reflect God, reflect, characterize. Jesus Christ. These qualities should define us. That's why we should set our minds on them. That's why we should be calculating them instead of all the other things that often fill our minds, trouble our minds, and then therefore our hearts manifesting themselves in the way we feel, up or down, worthy or unworthy. These are the things that are steadfast. Paul says, think on them. Thinking is so powerful. Our thoughts define us. As computer people used to say, I don't think it's trending anymore, but it's still valuable. Garbage in, garbage out. If we think negatively, we set a negative frequency just like tuning our lives or tuning something 
to the right pitch or volume. We tune our lives to a frequency that shapes our attitude. This is important because what we think shapes what we feel, shapes the way we see things. I mean, when we're discouraged or angry or frustrated, the whole world takes on the color and complexion of what we feel. So it affects not only what we feel, but what we see and what we say and what we do. And that's vital. That is so important to our entire life because our life in entirety is really a series of choices and decisions. The more decisions that are made out of circumstances, out of frustration, anger, sadness, pity, self-pity, these kinds of things create the very shape of our lives. What we focus our minds on really grows within us. It's not static. It grows, and we feed it. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are those new things? How do you renew the mind? It's the new things that we learn that are revealed in the gospel, revealed fundamentally and at base in Jesus Christ. The more we reflect on those things, those truths that are revealed, they shape the way we see and live our lives. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, Paul says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. How can we celebrate the newness of who we are in Jesus Christ if we feed our minds and therefore our lives on garbage, even pigs? won't eat. So Paul says, focus your attention on the right stuff in verse 8. And now he turns our attention in verse 9, and he says, follow my example. What was the one thing that Paul taught in every church? The one thing he taught in every church well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he tells us, my way of life in Christ. Yeah, that's the one thing, my way of life in Jesus Christ. And then he says, as I teach it everywhere in every church. Isn't that amazing? And we find in several of his letters, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 is well known. He says, imitate me as I am imitate Christ. But do you remember that right here in Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 17, he said, be imitators of me and watch carefully those who are living this way just as you have us as an example. 
That is huge. People need to find people who they can imitate, who are faithful representations of Jesus Christ. People who are worthy of imitation. Who do we imitate? We humans are mimic people. We imitate what we admire. And so my question to you, and this is really a serious question. It doesn't mean that I haven't been thinking about this myself. Who do you admire? And here's a follow-up question that's even more serious. Have you considered Christ? I ask that question because sometimes we just assume things. But we haven't set about to learn to get to know and therefore admire Jesus Christ. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan just inked just a little over a week ago. $100 million deal with Spotify for exclusive rights to his show, The Joe Rogan Experience. In the New York Times article that I read, they described, the Times described Rogan as the former host of The Fear Factor. Yeah, I remember that. And an MMA, which is a mixed martial arts color commentator. Yeah, I remember that as well. He loves cool cars, he loves shooting guns, and he loves working out. He features in his show a raw interview podcast format with comedians, athletes, and intellectuals. So, why so much money? 100 million for a guy who started out on the fear factor and was a mixed martial arts color commentator because he's grown in admiration. Men are drawn to Joe Rogan. They want to imitate Joe Rogan. They want to be like him because Joe Rogan is an influencer. Now you know what I'm talking about. Many of you are familiar with the influencers on social media platforms, many with half a million or a million followers. They make money off of that because they're not called influencers for nothing. They shape the way people buy things and live their lives, the clothes they wear, the perfumes or colognes that they wear. They're influencers. You know, it's said, and this is just anecdotal. I don't have any scientific data to back it up, but I just want to illustrate something. It's said that women listen to podcasts of women they can relate to. Men, it's said, listen to podcasts of men that they want to be like. And so I, 
I come back to that serious question. Have you considered Christ? Do you admire him? Do you want to imitate him? I will go so far as to say, I don't think you can survive the Christian life unless you can answer those two questions affirmatively. I do admire Christ. I want to imitate him. Paul, when he says, imitate me, imitate my way of life, he's saying, you can see in me the pattern of what God has revealed in Jesus Christ, the heart of Christ. In fact, in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 8, Paul says, I have the very heart of Jesus Christ. My compassion for you is driven by his heart. That's the spirit of what he says there. He actually says, I have the guts. I have the internal heart beat of Christ. We need that. To live for him. To stand up to the opposition of our world. When we are called to love others. When we are to be of the same mind and heart and spirit of Jesus Christ. And now Paul adds in verse 9, the very last words, something very profound. The God of peace will be with you. In other words, forward God's peace. Forward God's peace. Let's briefly note the context. Verse 6, do not be anxious. Bring to the Lord with thanksgiving the things that are on your heart that make you anxious. And find in him who inspires thanksgiving. Find in him trust and hope and rest. And the peace of God, he says, will guard your hearts and minds in Messiah Jesus. That's what it says. Christ Jesus. Messiah Jesus. That's important because the Jewish people expected the Messiah to bring peace. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. And the peace of the Old Testament is not just a cessation of strife. It is the healing of brokenness. It's the putting back together. It's the flourishing of all things that comes more with just going back to the way it was or getting back to normal, but going to a higher level. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, didn't Paul say, he says, he himself is our peace. He who, the Jews on one hand, the Gentiles on the other, which covers everybody. You're either in one camp or the other. This camp didn't overcome this camp. This camp didn't overcome this camp. Something greater than the individual camps overcame them both and they become one new race, one new humanity, one new person. The resurrection people, the people who have the spirit of God in their lives, who are not trammeled by life and circumstances, but rise above it. That is 
the peace that he says will be with us. Not just the peace of God, he says the God of peace will be with us. What's that mean for you and me? Well, it means when we come to the party, when we join the club, when we enter the room, instead of sucking the life out of it, we ought to bring some light and life, some humility and healing, some tears and hope, some faith and love, even in severe trial. Because we are the offspring, the progeny of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And yes, as citizens, we ought to be a positive example. In our homes, when we shop, out on the streets, when whatever we do, that's pretty good news to the world. That we are examples of the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. God bless you. We hope to see you soon in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, we will continue to, uh, to meet you right here online. And I hope you'll come prepared, expecting great things from God. So... Yeah, give you that fist bump, elbow, big hug, mwah, we love you.